Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Kyler. I appreciate that. I am Trin. I'm one of the pastors on campus here, and I want to thank you for being here with us today. Uh, I want to give a couple of shout-outs. The first one is Pastor Carlos is in Modesto this morning. He's our Spanish uh, pastor over at our Modesto Spanish campus, but it is his birthday today, and I wanted to wish him a happy birthday. Uh, it is not easy, I know, having your birthday next to a holiday, um, and so we want to give him a shout-out. I do also want to say Merry Christmas, um, and I appreciated what Pastor Tasha said, uh, because some people are like, Christmas music and not Christmas anymore, we Grinch. Um, it's around here, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate Jesus all year long, and in whatever way we so feel led. Um, it is my honor to read this to the church this morning. Many of you know it. Um, Many of you know a dear, uh, dear man in the church passed away, um, um, and we had his memorial service here, Jerry German's memorial service last weekend, and I wanted to read um, from his beautiful wife, Sally, a note that she wrote to our, our church family. Um, and so please hear this and, and from her. It says, thank you, New Life family. To everyone that brought cookies and did tables and chairs, etc. God bless you. Thank you so much for all the help and love you showed to me and my family. God bless every one of you. Love, Sally German. Can you just show Sally how much we love her back this morning? We adore you. Well, um, we are in the story. Welcome to our last gathering of 2021. Um, we are in uh, what we call the story. It's a 31-week series that we've been on. Uh, we covered it on Christmas Eve. What it is is it's the Bible written in chronological order. Um, you'll Many of you will know or you'll remember from this series that the Bible itself is not laid out in chronological order for several reasons. And so we're going through this um, to let us know the context of the Bible. Now, if you you um, have not been reading along with us. This is your first time here today. First of all, I'm so glad that you're here. You're not going to be missing out on anything at all. But if you would like a storybook, you can grab one. We have some at the Connect Corner. This is home. This is our living room. So you get up if you need to, to go get a Bible. If you need to grab a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom, you're welcome to do that here if you'd like to follow along. But the scriptures I'll be reading will also be on the screen if you're joining us at home or if you just prefer to read that way. I do, however, encourage you to take some notes. You're like, well, I'm not really a note taker. You are now because that is how we um, get information further and deeper into us. So no matter how you process information, it's always going to be helpful for you to write something down. That's why Pastor Kyler keeps us stocked with note cards and pens in the seat pocket in front of you. If you didn't bring anything to write down, you need to write something down, do it. If you need to write something down in your phone, do it. Uh, we just want you to be able to take this home with you and do something with it this week. And I've got a little tip for you. I'm a teacher way more than I've ever been a preacher. I love to learn and I love to help other people learn. Um, and so one of the practices I've really been enjoying in the story Bible, for those of you that are going through, is you'll notice that the story does not have the words of Jesus in red. It's traditional in many translations of the Bible to have the words of Jesus in red. Everything else is printed in black, um, but they put the words of Jesus in red. And so I've always, I'm, I love Bibles. I have a few of them. And I've always bought Bibles that had those words in red. This one doesn't, which is 
has given me the opportunity to do something kind of fun. As we've been going through and reading every week, I've had my red ink pen with me. And as I've read the words of Jesus, I've gone through the practice of underlining those words in red. It's given me an opportunity to meditate more on the words of Jesus and notice what he's saying throughout. So just a little fun tip for you to have a red pen nearby. But let's let's jump into this. On Friday at Christmas Eve, Pastor Troy spoke about Jesus's beginnings. That's what chapter 22 was all about. Um, it was about Jesus's arrival on earth. It's a story many of us are familiar with. Uh, when Jesus came to earth as a baby, was born in a stable in Bethlehem and came to earth. And it says that he grew up in our world. Well, chapter 23 is called Jesus Ministry Begins. Jesus Ministry Begins. So um, some of you know that Jesus was 30 years old before he began his ministry, which is when he was traveling around uh, the world at that time, talking to people, preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. He was healing and he was delivering people. And his ministry, once it started, would last three years. It would end with him being crucified on a cross, buried in a grave, and then we know that three days later he rose again after conquering death, hell, and the grave, and then after walking the earth for another couple of months he ascended into heaven where he know that he is and will remain until he returns to take us home and I'm sorry about the spoilers I apologize but that's what's coming but I really appreciate the way that this is separated out in the story because most of us no matter how long we've been studying the story of Jesus have two images of Jesus in our mind Christmas Jesus and Easter Jesus Christmas Jesus and Easter Jesus. Christmas Jesus is a little baby so cute. Sent by God, welcomed by this cast of unique characters, destined to grow up and fulfill all the prophecies and save the world. That's what the, we've been celebrating over this season. And then there's Easter Jesus that hits us about March or April. It's a mighty man with droves of followers that heals and casts out demons and preaches the good news. And he was so influential that the powers that be plotted to kill him, which only resulted in his resurrection. And both of those images of Jesus are true. They're really and wholly biblical. Now, how exactly we see Jesus in our mind's eye, what he looks like, what he sounds like, the way he looks at people, that's probably more a reflection of us than it is of him. But the facts remain. But sometimes we don't stop to consider the Jesus between Christmas and Easter. We celebrate the baby on Christmas and we celebrate the king at Easter, but we don't pause and really meditate on what experience led one to the other. See, Jesus didn't grow up influential. That's not how it reads in the Bible. In fact, after Jesus began to gain notoriety, the people from his family and his hometown actually snubbed him, tried to remind him that you can take the man out of the village, but you can't take the village out of the man. And Jesus didn't grow up famous. He was briefly famous as a baby when he was visited by the shepherds and as a toddler when he was visited by kings. But then remember, there was a plot on his life when he was less than two years old. And Mary and Joseph took him and fled to Egypt. Then they returned to Nazareth, which is why he's sometimes called Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus didn't grow up preaching or teaching. 
Jesus didn't grow up preaching or teaching. He would have been raised in the Jewish tradition, so he would have grown up being preached to and taught. Can you imagine looking back and realizing that one of your pupils was like the word? Like, oh, I really hope I taught that right, right? So Jesus wasn't this mighty king or renowned preacher all his life. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't have the deck stacked for him. In fact, he lived a fairly normal life for a Jewish man right up until he was 30 years old. Now, I turned 30 this year, and different ages mean different things in different cultures, so my life looks very different than Jesus's did in so many ways. And I just want to say that I know that 30 isn't old, no matter what my children and every other child in our kids' ministry thinks, but I look at my life and how much I've lived, and so much has happened and changed, not just in 30 years, but in the last 10 years. And it's hard for me to imagine that only beginning my life's work and purpose this year. I mean, can, you be can you imagine being told your life has one central solitary purpose and then waiting 30 years to start? But that's what Jesus did. We read in chapter 23 of the story that he visits John the Baptist. He's baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit led him out in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And only after that experience did Jesus begin to preach and teach, to heal and deliver, and to call people to follow him. And one of the fascinating things about the story of the beginning of Jesus' ministry is the way that he draws people into it. He calls people to follow him, to trust him, to join him in his purpose. And we know that he didn't need these people, but he includes them, like the 12 apostles that we read about this week. This morning, I believe, as one of your privileged, humble pastors, that God has a word for this church family. And I believe that if you're here, whether you're in this room, you're on this campus, you're joining us online, whether you come to New Life all the time, this is your first time, you're a guest of someone here today, I believe that if you're here today, God has something specific to speak to you from this passage today. And I believe that the word will be different for each person, not a blanket statement, but an individual invitation as unique as each person. And so today, on this final Sunday of 2021, standing at the edge of a new year, I believe God wants to speak to his people. This chapter of his church at this moment in history about what it means to start something new. In fact, I believe if you're listening today, God has divinely orchestrated you to be here and hear these words because he wants to invite you to activate a calling in your life. Let's pray. God, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, fall on your people today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand so that we can go forward and fulfill your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you enjoyed the Kids and Youth Christmas program last Sunday? Were able to see? Didn't they do a good job? I want to thank our team again, uh, Pastor Tasha and Miss Ashley and all of our Kids You teachers and workers, all the parent volunteers that made that happen. We all know that those babies through high schoolers didn't just make that happen on their own. They had a lot of support, but they did such a good job. I especially enjoyed uh, the youth skit this year. They were so 
funny and then you're laughing and all of a sudden our teens were standing right on this stage preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance it was unreal it was absolutely divine and i just want to say way to go to pastor michael and way to go to the parents that are keeping them in youth group and keeping them hearing this truth and getting it down into them and so there was this skit and i just want to give a shout out because nobody said it last week that pastor Tasha wrote all of those skits and we really appreciate her creativity and in, in um sharing the gospel but uh but michael one of our teens was up here and he was just killing me i hope he goes into acting uh but the whole premise was that he was training for something and he was like weightlifting and running and doing all this cardio and stuff and then at the uh, near the end of the skit he says like this is the moment and the light shines on him and there's a pretty girl over here Miss Raina trying to open a pickle jar and he walks in slow motion over to her and he opened the pickle jar for her and when he did that I don't know about you but I cheered I was like yeah Michael um, and so it was like all this preparation and hard work paid off when it comes to something we want to do or need to do, we're usually in one of two stages. We're in preparation or we're in activation. We're in preparation or we're in activation. One is a lot more fun than the other, but both are incredibly necessary. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation to activate a three-year ministry that would change the entire course of history and the whole world. And for many people, I believe that 2021 was a time of preparation. And as I prayed and studied this week, I believe God spoke to me that 2022, the coming year, the coming weeks, will be for many of us a time of activation. Now here's the thing about preparation. Sometimes we know what we're preparing for, like Michael knew the moment that he was preparing for. Sometimes we don't know exactly what we're preparing for. And sometimes we didn't even know we were preparing until we got to activation. I want you to think about runners. Does anybody here run? Me neither. Any, anybody, anybody about to run in like mm, five days? Really? I'm totally going to be a runner next week. By this time next week, for sure. Uh, good for you, buckaroo. Some runners know exactly what they're preparing for. They're Olympic bound before they hit middle school. It's all they train for. It's all they think about. It's all they do. Other runners are running consistently, but they don't know what exactly they're preparing for. They know that running is good for them. Maybe they'll need to run for safety one day, or maybe it's just good for their heart and their cardiovascular health. And then there's a story Pastor Troy shared a few weeks ago about the Olympic medalist who didn't know he was training for a race. He was just the fastest kid in his family, and his mom was always sending him running errands for her. He had to be fast and he didn't know he was training for anything until the opportunity came to compete. And that sounds kind of silly until you put it to something you can relate to. Some of you have been preparing for a relationship. You've been working on yourself, you've been overcoming issues, trauma or addiction. You've been strengthening your relationship with God and learning to depend on him alone. And you know you want a relationship, a marriage, a friendship, you and your spouse want to have a child. And I believe that for this year is going to be a year of activation. Others have been preparing for something. You've been studying your Bible, you've been praying, you've been asking God what's next, and you know that something's coming, but you don't know what. And I believe that this year is going to be an activation year of a call of God on your life. 
and still others didn't know you were preparing. It's been a year of learning to deal with conflict in your job, and you just thought you were handling the stuff of life, but this year there's going to be an activation as you move up or as you switch careers, or, or you've spent months addressing childhood traumas or past wounds, and you just thought it was time to heal, but this year is going to be a year of activation as you support others in their healing. Sometimes we're preparing and we don't know we're preparing. Now, I need you to know two things today. First, not everybody is going to activate everything this year. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is a time and a season for everything. So we cannot and we should not all be activating everything this year. But we're also multifaceted people reflecting the multifaceted character of God. And so while this might be a year of activation for you in some areas, it also likely will be a year of preparation for you in other areas. And second, and this is very, very important, I am not talking about a prosperity gospel. I am not talking about God going all Oprah Winfrey on you and be like, you get a destiny and you get a destiny and you get a destiny. I'm not talking about God activating something that you haven't been in preparation for because that wouldn't follow the natural order of the world that God created. I'm talking about him activating something that you have been preparing for whether you realized it or not. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you about the one thing that separates a season of preparation from a season of activation, and that is an invitation. During the course of this chapter, we read six specific instances where Jesus activated people that had been in preparation. In each of these instances, his invitation followed a pattern, and that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus stopped them, he saw them, he showed them, and he sent them. And we're going to look at those today as we look at this cast of characters, and I want to go through them with you. If you have your story today, make sure you're open to chapter 23. If you don't, again, you're welcome to grab one from the connect corner. You can follow along on the board. I think it's helpful for us to understand this pattern of invitation so we have the knowledge to see when Jesus is inviting us to activate. So the first thing Jesus does when he invites someone to activate is he stops them. One thing we've learned about the story is that God is a master interrupter. Abraham was resting in the tent when Jesus showed up. Moses was tending sheep when he came upon the burning bush. And little Samuel was just trying to get some sleep when God called him three times. So it makes sense that Jesus, fully human and fully God, isn't afraid to interrupt people. So I want you to open to page 324, right near the bottom. This is from John chapter 1, verses 43 and 44. It says this, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So, so Philip wasn't planning on leaving. He was in his hometown, in the town of Bethsaida, and Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, which was about 30 miles away, we know. And so Jesus found him, and he said, follow me. So this first character we're looking at is Philip. We're going to call him Phil. Philip, Philip, Philip. And Philip 
was home. That's a house. You see? You, you know. It's a, it's a house. You get it. So Philip was home. He was home, uh, and he and Jesus said, we're going to leave home. We're going somewhere else. Now I want you to look at page 331. This is a passage from Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So a little bit of context here. The Jews, remember, were under Roman law and occupied by the Romans. They had to pay taxes to Rome, way more taxes. Occupied people had to pay way more taxes than Roman citizens. And the Jews hated this Roman occupation. And they hated tax collectors because tax collectors were locals, often Jews, that were contracted by the Roman government to collect taxes. And they were notorious for lying about the amounts owed, because there was no like central computer system at this time, and, and charging a lot more than what people owed and pocketing the difference. And they were party to the oppression of the Jews. So this is Levi. Levi is another name for Matthew, the apostle Matthew, and he was the tax collector. This is a, this is a bag of money visuals all right so levi um, is sitting in his place of business and he's allied with the oppressors of the jews and jesus steps into his place of business and he says follow me he's interrupting these people they're at home they're at their place of business and so the first thing we need to ask ourselves when we want to know whether god is activating a call in our lives is where am i being interrupted where am I being interrupted? Because Jesus doesn't care about your plans. Uh, he does. He does. He cares about you and he cares about the desires of your heart. But he won't bend your calendar or your agenda or your to-do list. I dare say he prefers to interrupt us, throw us off, take down our guard. Because that's how he can best get our attention. Is there a thought you can't escape is there a dream you can't drop? Do people keep asking you for the same help or wisdom or service? Do you have a nagging discontent with a problem, a burden for a person or a people group? What is interrupting the flow of your life? And maybe, maybe you grew up in the foster care system or maybe you didn't, but you just can't stop thinking about all the kids that need a safe place. Maybe you've overcome an addiction, or maybe you have it, but you just can't stop thinking about the people that are in bondage for addiction. Maybe you're a single parent, or maybe you're not, but you just can't stop thinking about those single parents that need help and need support. There are so many other things. What is interrupting you? Now, every interruption is not from God. Because Jesus, uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. When we have our hearts set on Jesus, when we're following him the best we know how, and yet we find ourselves burdened or interrupted, stopped by something. We may just be at the beginning of Jesus' invitation to 
activate a call. So Jesus, when he's going to invite us to do something, he stops us. And then what does Jesus do? He sees us. He sees them. Now I want you to stick with me here because I think this might be the most important thing that we understand. Of course Jesus saw these people. He was looking at them. He was talking to them. But Jesus sees into the very soul of the people he stops. Look in your book on page 325, near the top of the page. 325, near the top of the page. Philip was called. Remember, he was at home in Bethsaida, and he immediately goes and finds Nathaniel and tells him that they have found the one that the Jews have been waiting for. Now, these are all Jewish men. They've been growing up in the same tradition. They know that they're waiting on a Savior, and they know that they're in the middle of this period of silence, and they're waiting. They're waiting, and they think they know what they're waiting for. And so Philip is interrupted, and he immediately goes, it says, and finds Nathaniel, and he brings Nathaniel right to Jesus. Nathaniel was doing something, but he's been interrupted, and when Nathaniel arrives, Jesus speaks first. Right at the top of page 325, John verse 1, or John chapter 1, verses 47 and 48, says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. In this case, Jesus lets Nathaniel know that he has seen where he was under, under the fig tree, right? Because this is Nathaniel, and he's under the tree. And Philip brings him to him, and Jesus says, I, I saw you, I, I see you. But he also says, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I see into you. I know you. I know who you are. Uh, remember Levi, Matthew, he was sitting alone in the tax collector's booth. There was no mistaking what kind of situation that Levi had gotten himself into. And Jesus saw that. And he wanted Levi to know he saw that. He didn't approach Levi at the marketplace or in the street. He didn't come knocking on his door on his day off. He approached him in the setting of his sin and his disappointment to show Levi that he knew what kind of person Levi was, and he was going to give Levi a chance to activate a whole new life. But Jesus doesn't just invite us to activate seeing where we've been. He invites us even though he knows where we'll go. Look at page 324 again, down near the bottom. This is from John chapter 1 still. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. There it is again. These are Jewish men. They know they're waiting for the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. He knows who he is. You will be called Cephas, which is which when translated is Peter. So this is where commonly we know him as Simon Peter because he began as Simon and Jesus told him you're going to be Peter. Peter is a, a rock. That's a rock. Okay. Peter is the rock. He gives him this new name. Now this is more spoilers. I apologize. But later in Jesus' ministry, he's talking to his disciples 
And he asks the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, rock, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And you read this and you're like, yeah, Peter, Peter, Peter. Like Jesus activated the right guy. He looked into his holy crystal ball and he saw that Peter was the perfect guy for the job. But just 10 chapters later, later after this, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny Jesus three times. And even though Peter vehemently denies it that very night, it happens. And it isn't until after Jesus' death and resurrection that he restores Peter, reaffirming that Peter is the rock upon which he will build his church. Can you imagine what Peter must have thought when he realized that he had done exactly what Jesus said he would? Can you imagine how it felt to be hiding after Jesus died, afraid, not sure what to do? Can you imagine how he felt when Jesus came back? Now, this isn't in the text. This is just Trin's imagination. So take it or leave it. But I kind of wonder if he even went by Peter after Jesus died. Do you think he felt worthy of the name? I mean, people are like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Simon. I think Peter had faith that Jesus would do what he said and rise again, but how could Peter be the rock for Jesus when he had betrayed him so terribly? All of this was Peter's experience in real time. But Jesus, at that very moment when Andrew led his brother into Jesus' presence, the Son of God would have seen clearly in his mind eye all that would happen. He knew all of that in that moment. He saw Peter, all that had been and all that would be, and he still invited him. When Jesus is inviting someone to activate a call, he stops them, he sees them, and then he shows them. He shows them. Now, I said the last point was the most important one, but I think this one might be the most special. Because this chapter illustrates that Jesus shows people whatever they need to see to make the next step. When Jesus called Nathaniel, he showed him that he had divine knowledge. To see the outside of Nathaniel, he had been under the tree, but also to see the inside of Nathaniel, who he was. It was similar with Simon Peter. Jesus names him. He says, you're Simon, before anyone introduces him, though they've never met before. But he also says that he sees into his future and shows him who he will be. When Jesus calls Levi, when he calls Matthew, it's a little bit different. He was in the tax collector's booth, but then when you keep reading, it says right after he calls him, Jesus went to Levi's house and had dinner with him and all the other tax collectors and sinners that were his friends. Jesus showed Levi that 
anyone can be activated by Jesus. And I think my two favorite ones for what Jesus shows us are Philip and Andrew. Remember, Philip was at home, and Jesus was leaving town, and he found Philip in his hometown, and he said, you're coming with me. And the very next verse says that Philip went and found Nathanael and brought him to Jesus. Why? Something happened. There was a, a conversation or a revelation, some time in Jesus' presence, something activated inside of Philip. Jesus showed him something, and what that is still remains between Philip and Jesus. And I love the story of Andrew's call. Now, Andrew, I want to talk about him for a second. He's Peter's brother that brought him to Jesus. But we look back at page 324, right in the middle, from John 1, 35 through 42. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew, one of Jesus' apostles, spent one afternoon Four in the afternoon, one afternoon in the presence of Jesus. He was minding his own business, following John the Baptist, doing the best he could when his world was rocked in one afternoon. He discovers the Messiah that they've been waiting for, and he's so sure that he knows who he is after one afternoon that he goes and tells and brings his brother. Once Jesus has stopped someone and seen them, he will show them something. But it's going to be different. He's a personal God, a personal Savior. John 1 says that Jesus was there at the beginning, and through him all things were created. Jesus created you. And he knows what you need to know in order to do what you need to do. Maybe he makes you aware of someone you haven't noticed before. Maybe he works a miracle to grow your faith. Or maybe he doesn't work a miracle to grow your faith. Maybe he sets before you an example of someone doing what he's calling you to do. What Jesus shows you will be as unique as the call on your life. Finally, once Jesus stops someone and he sees them, and he shows them the last part of the invitation is that he will send them. He sends them. Some interesting thing happens right in the middle of the events of this chapter. It's on page 333, and I, I want you to track with me here. It, it says this, it's, it's from Mark chapter 3. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and called to them those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. 
These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boengeris, which means sons of thunder. This is a side note. I've done some study on that, but I'm just going to tell you I call my girls the daughters of thunder just because the name makes sense. Anyway, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay, first of all, Judas. I think it's funny that the writer of the gospel did not want anyone to forget who Judas was. It was like, this is that Judas, okay? We don't, we don't, we're pretty upset with him. Um, but the second thing I want you uh, to see, and I really want us to get this today, is that Jesus sent out the 12 during his ministry. Jesus sent out the 12 during his three-year ministry. Why does that matter? Because when we're in the Bible a lot, we're in church a lot, sometimes we begin to believe things that aren't true. We assume, and you know what assuming does, we assume that the apostles who were called and anointed and trained were called and anointed and trained so that they could carry on Jesus' ministry after he was gone. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. He anointed them to go while he was still on earth. They weren't a generic replacement after Jesus had left the building. Jesus included them in his ministry. Did Jesus need them? No, I want you to answer the question. Who, by a show of hands, thinks that Jesus needed these guys? Okay, who, by a show of hands, thinks that Jesus didn't need these guys? Okay, that's like half of you. So I, the rest of you are sleeping and that hurts my feelings a little bit. Here's the deal though, you're all wrong. We're all wrong. The cool thing about Jesus is that he's fully God. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to need us. He makes us a part of his plan. He gives us influence and responsibility. We all heard the saying, or a version of the saying, the world needs you. The world needs you. And it's kind of trite, but it's true because the creator of the world created you. He created the world to need you. He made you with a plan and a purpose. You are uniquely positioned in this moment in time for a reason. And I won't pretend to know what that reason is, although I'll tell you what, some of you I have been telling you for weeks or even years and you just keep thinking, I'm being so nice to you. I'm not that nice of a person. You can't just keep denying that God has a plan for you. Some of you listening to this, you're called to run a business. You're called to bring Christ into the marketplace. You're called to make certain decisions in the business world. You're uniquely positioned for an, a particular influence and you're shying away from it because it's too hard or not hard enough or it doesn't pay well enough or some other ridiculous reason. Some of you are called to be parents. And you're like, who? Is someone having a baby? Let me tell you a secret. If you have kids, you're called to be a parent. There is no circumstance of conception, no lack of planning, no lack of desire, 
no discontent with the other parent that abdicates you from the responsibility of that call. And there is no child in the history of the world that was conceived without the specific intention of the creator of the universe. And so if that kid is yours, whether they're five or 45, you are called to be their parent. And you're called to parent them in a way that doesn't exasperate them, but brings them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. And verse five doesn't say until they're 18, or only if it's your week or doesn't apply to parents in the generation of the iPhone and TikTok. If you're a parent, you are called to parent at a high divine standard and you will stand before God and give an account of how you stewarded those precious children. Some of you are called into ministry and you're ignoring it or you're putting it off until I have time Till the kids go to school, till the kids are out of school, till the kids, kids go to, come on, until next year. Now I believe that for someone listening to this, this is a year of activation of that call. You're being interrupted, but God doesn't follow our timetable. You don't feel qualified, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You say, how do I just accept a call into ministry? Well, I'm just so glad you asked. Here at New Life Church, we believe in people that are called to ministry, and we know that that looks different for every person that has a call into vocational ministry. And that's why Pastor Troy founded many years ago the Northern California Ministry Training Center. I need you to key into what I'm saying right now. This ministry training center runs a new session every year. And on Tuesday, January 11th, from 3 to 4 p.m., we are hosting an open house right here on this campus. This is for people who are called into vocational ministry and want to learn what that looks like. How do I become a pastor, a preacher, a teacher? Or there is a second track for those that are specifically called into biblical counseling that believe that you're called to one-on-one -on -one or group-based counseling to help people through the hurts, the hang-ups, and the habits of life. This program is specifically designed to give you all the education, the academic education, and all the real-life experience necessary to become a minister. But it is designed for people that have families and jobs, for people who feel like they can't become a minister because they don't have four years to go away to Bible college. It's affordable. It will work with your schedule. There are even some options available for juniors and seniors in high school to begin the process. This is not a program for people who are like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, so I'll just do that. This is for people who are saying, I don't know what ministry looks like and I don't know how it could possibly fit into my life, but I know that God has called me. And there are probably some people listening to this that are like, what's with the commercial in the middle of the sermon? But I guarantee that there is someone listening to this or even a few someones that are squirming in your seats and all you can hear is January 11th, January 11th, January 11th, because you know you have a call on your life and God keeps interrupting you and he sees you and now he has shown you that there is a way and I can tell you this, the most miserable people you will ever meet in your entire life 
are the ones that had a call into ministry and refused to follow it. Don't be miserable. But I told you we're not all the same. So maybe God's not calling you into the ministry, but maybe he's calling you to a ministry. Maybe you keep hearing about this dream center we're opening up in Modesto with the compassion store that has food and, and hygiene items and clothing for people in need. The fitness center that's offering a place for health. The counseling center that's offering counseling for people that are down and out. You keep hearing about this dream center and your heart is pricked and burdened for the people that need help. And maybe, maybe you have a heart for teens and you think everybody has a heart for teens. And I can tell you they are the most underhearted people in the entire church. Not everybody has a heart for teens. If you do, you're special. And maybe you have a heart for this new young adult ministry that's launching these, these 20 year olds that don't know what they're doing, don't know what their next step is in their life. And we want to minister to these young adults and you're saying, God, I want to help, but you couldn't possibly be calling me. Maybe you have a heart for those that are being served all over the world by our online campus. And, and you just have this sense that you could help bring excellence to the technology in this building or the technology on our online campus. And you want to be part of that. I, God is calling you to activate something, to be a part of something. He's giving you a burden for something. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do. No one has said, ABC, this is what you do. Here's what you do. You ask. You put it on a connect card. You talk to one of the pastors. You come tell me, that's my job. Come tell me, this is the burden that I have. Now don't come with a 45 day, 45 point plan to get exactly where you want to get. Because nine times out of 10 for all of us, it's gonna look different than what we originally planned. But it was different for Peter than he planned too. And I would say that turned out pretty well. When Jesus invites us to activate a call, he sends us. But he doesn't send us away from him. He sends us out with the Holy Spirit. And we're empowered to take one step and then another. Our job isn't to accomplish a call. And if you sense God activating you in the year 2022, please don't make that your New Year's resolution that by January 1st, 2023, I will have accomplished the call. We're called to activate the call and then walk in it, whatever step God gives us next. God calls us to activate by stopping us, by seeing us, by showing us, and by sending us. We can choose to squash that activation at any time. And many of us have. But when we choose to surrender, to submit, to listen and obey and follow Jesus, he can do great things with any one of us. Amen. That's what happened to these five of the 12 apostles that we got to read about in this chapter. To Philip, who was in his hometown minding his own business. To Levi, steeped in sin as a tax collector to Nathaniel sitting under a tree, to Simon Peter, who would eventually betray Jesus, and to Andrew, who had the benefit of one afternoon in the presence of a savior. 
But I told you at the beginning that Jesus activated six people in this chapter. So I want you to look at one more place for me as we wind this down today. Flip back a couple pages in your book to page 327. At the bottom begins one of my very favorite stories of Jesus. It's taken from John chapter 4 and it says this. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Now this is why we're reading the Bible in chronological order. You remember Jacob, son of Isaac, and you remember his son Joseph, and you remember Jacob's well. That's where he was, same spot. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The woman was coming to the well for a reason, to draw water. She was not looking for Jesus, and she had not come for a conversation. In fact, we understand from cultural context that she was likely coming to the well at noon in the heat of the day when people wouldn't normally make that trip to avoid contact with other people who normally came in the morning or in the evening. He initiates a conversation with a woman that had no interest in a conversation. He stopped her. And what transpires is a conversation where Jesus tries to reveal himself to her and she tries to draw him into an argument. She deflects, she avoids, she lies. But Jesus loves her too much to take the bait or to leave her alone. He patiently engages with her. He sees her. He knows her. He's seeing her when he shows her who he really is. On page 328 from John 4, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus isn't shaming her. He's showing her that he knows who she is. Her reputation, her sins, her mistakes, dare I say her heartbreak. He's showing her who he is because he's divine and he has that knowledge. He shows her that he's God and she even says, I can see that you're a prophet and then deflects some more, tries to draw him into another theological argument. Clearly she's not right for this call. It's probably why she wasn't named in the 12 apostles. She blew it. She ran out Jesus' patience and she ruined the call. Except that's not what happened. The top of page 329 from John chapter 4, it says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town, said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And if you keep reading, it says the entire 
town is touched by this and that many Samaritans come to Jesus just on the woman's testimony alone and then they come to believe in him themselves. I want you to remember last Sunday when we looked at chapter 21 and dad reminded us about the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom was overtaken by Assyria and taken into captivity. They were taken into captivity. In the Old Testament, you remember this, the northern kingdom of Israel taken into captivity in Assyria and they ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians, which God had told them not to do in his law, not because he has a problem with race, but because this was an unbelieving race of people and he knew that if they intermarried with them, their belief in him would be tainted. And so this resulted in a race that was half Jewish and half Gentile, half Assyrian. And they had their own Jewish traditions, but again, they weren't totally correct. And that race was the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't get along with the Jews because of their differing views. But Jesus began with one woman that had screwed up and he used her to begin the process of reinstating even those that were generations removed from his plan for them. He stopped her. He saw her. He showed her. He sent her. And the world was forever changed. There's a phrase that Jesus used when he was on earth, when he was tangibly inviting people to activate their calls saw it twice in this chapter he said follow me that's the invitation I said that when Jesus sends us whether it's to a ministry a job a relationship the breaking of an addiction the helping of a friend the serving of the unlovable when Jesus sends us it's not away from him it's with him He doesn't invite us to be sent away. He invites us to follow right with him, to be deployed for his purpose for the world. You know, my kids are young, four and under, and at least a thousand times a day I say something along the lines of, follow mommy, follow mommy, follow, follow, follow. My kids are smart. I know darn well that they know darn well what I mean. But inevitably, when I tell them to follow me, they initiate what I call the divergence. It goes like this. Child number one, my firstborn, my natural born leader. He thinks he knows where we need to go better than I know where we need to go. So inevitably, I say, follow mommy, and he steps right in front of me. And he starts trying to lead us where he thinks he's following from the, he's a front follower. And so I bump into him by accident. Child number two, she has lots of feelings. She's my emotive child. So I'll say, follow mommy, follow, follow, follow. And she will fall into this highly emotional heap on the floor because she's tired. And I always tell her she has to follow. She's laying on the floor. I'm trying to get us somewhere. She's laying on the floor. I step on her by accident. (laughs) Child number three. We had been gambling for an easy one. 
lost that bet. Child number three is my against the flow child. She will run in whatever direction she thinks can get her out of my grasp the fastest, which is usually toward the nearest moving vehicle or body of water. I have to save her, so I push her by accident. You get it. So I'm body slamming this child. I'm stomping on this child. I'm shoving this child over. I'm trying to use my calm voice because I desperately want to be a calm mom. So I'm going, follow, 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 follow mommy, follow. It's a mess. What my children don't seem to understand is that my way really is the best way. It's best for them each individually. It's best for them as a whole. It's best for their chances of survival on a Tuesday. And whether we're filing into the doctor's office for shots, or whether we're filing into the ice cream parlor for a Sunday, whether they can see where we're headed, or whether they can't, what I'm doing for them is the best thing for them. Many of us have been in a season of preparation. And now is the time for activation. But we will never, ever do what we were meant to do and be who we were meant to be if we don't answer the invitation of Jesus to follow, follow, follow. Today, I believe with everything in me that there is someone, maybe more than one someone within the sound of my voice that is not following, that has not given their word to follow that has not given their life to Jesus or has given it and then taken it back. And it is my plea with you today to follow, 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 to give your life to Jesus today, to submit and to surrender to him and to say whatever you want and however it looks and however different it is and however much it interrupts me, Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you today, I am going to pray. I'm going to pray what we call the sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical about the words that I use, but I'm going to pray it. And if you want to join me in that and you want to give Jesus your life, I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And if you mean it in your heart, you will become a child of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, forgive all my sins. Make me new. Jesus, save me. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you always. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're like, what do I do now? follow 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 and you let me know so that we can walk that road with you but I believe that many are here today and Jesus is inviting you to activate a call on your life and you've been following him into salvation but you haven't been following him with your whole life 
You haven't given him license to change the way you parent, to change the way you love people, to change the way you spend your time, to change the way you spend your money, to change the way that you do your life. And it's time to stop making excuses, to stop trying to argue, to stop stepping in his way, to show him where you want to go, or falling in a heap because it's just not fair, or running the other direction. It's time to follow. So today you're being handed the elements of Holy Communion. Now listen carefully to me because this is dangerous. Communion is one of the two sacraments of the church. Those are sacred traditions. Communion actually began in the Old Testament. You'll remember that when God was delivering the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he commanded them to make bread without yeast because they would have to hasten out of Egypt. He commanded them to paint their doors with the blood of a lamb to protect them from the curse against the firstborns. And then after they were delivered out of Egypt, God instituted a yearly celebration called Passover in which they would have this unleavened bread and this wine to remember how God had delivered them. But when Jesus was on earth, he gave new meaning to this tradition. The bread, he said, symbolized his body and the wine symbolized his blood. And Jesus said this about communion. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, follow, 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 follow. Do what I tell you to do. Trust me. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've won. And just follow me. So today, this last gathering of New Life Church of 2021, as many of us are now realizing that we are at the end of preparation and headed into activation, we're going to stop and we're going to remember what Jesus has done. We're going to take communion. Now I said it's dangerous. Here's why. Because the Bible says that communion is not to be entered into lightly. It says that we're supposed to examine ourselves before we take communion and make sure that our hearts are right with God. If yours isn't today, just don't take communion. Or, better yet, please, just get your heart right with God. That means giving your life to Jesus. It means repenting of any sins you came in here with, not with the intent of clearing the ledger so that you can take the elements and then go back to what you were doing, but with the intent of being truly changed. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. I am a sinner. He loves us even so. It is never too late. It is never the wrong time to tell God you're sorry to start afresh and so today we're going to take these elements of holy communion together so as you've prepared your heart as you've examined yourself I'd like to invite you to stand with me today and if you're at home what I'd really like to do is invite you to join us grab whatever you need we're taking 
going to be really honest with you, something that's just one hair off of cardboard and some questionable grape juice. Because it's not about the elements. This isn't transubstantiation. This isn't turning into the literal body and blood of Jesus. This is symbolic. And what's important is what's going on in our hearts. Would you take your bread and prepare your heart? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, in a season where we're remembering a precious baby swaddled in a manger, we choose not to lose sight of the humanity of Jesus Christ a precious loving man who saw the invisible and loved the unlovable a precious man who was beaten bruised abused and traumatized hurt in unimaginable ways physical mental emotional and spiritual who went through literal hell whose suffering on earth was finished so that he could go down into the bowels of hell to defeat death, hell, and the grave. We remember that man and that body that was broken for us. And we say, thank you. And we remember how much you love us. In Jesus' name, church family, shall we eat? Paul continues, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come, and we are no longer slaves to fear. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we remember the blood you've spilled. Every last drop holding nothing back because you love us that much. God, if you love us that much, how can we hold anything back from you? So as we remember what you've done, we posture in submission, God. Whatever you have for us, however it interrupts us, however it changes our plans, would you begin to illuminate our next steps even now, God, that our lives might not serve us, but that they would serve you. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Church family, shall we drink? Express to him yourself how thankful you are. God, thank you. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for using me. Thank you that you still have a call on me, no matter the pit 
matter the the royal screw up I've I've done God no matter what has happened to me no matter what I have done thank you thank you you still love me and you still have a plan for me you have a plan for my spouse you have a plan for my children and my children's children and my children's children's children you have given me an opportunity to leave a legacy father God and it is never too late to start God, you have given me influence over my siblings, over my parents, over my peers, Father God, over my coworkers, my employees. You have given me influence, Father God. You have given me the ability to leave a legacy all over this place. A legacy of your love and your grace and your mercy. I am important in your kingdom. You didn't just create me for this world. You created this world for me internalize it this morning church don't walk out of here believing this word is for everyone but you he is speaking to you today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today oh we receive it God have your way in this church in these people in this moment in history as we go into this new year, Father God, even as we go into this final week of this year, would you prepare us? Would you activate us, God? We love you. We give you the praise and the glory because you're do it all in Jesus' name. be a part of a church family that continues to go and grow if you need help with your next step that's what I'm here for I don't have all the answers but I'd love to help you find them so ask me ask one of our other pastors ask a trusted friend but don't go away from this place and squander the word of God in your lives may God bless you so that in all things at all times having all that you need you in this new year may abound in every good work god bless you church we love you